0: My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Well, good morning, and welcome to Our Sunday School. I'm glad you're able to join us this morning. Uh, If you got your Bibles, we're in Mark chapter 9, and uh, we are moving through Mark's Gospel. Today is week 88. In our TBD series on uh, Mark's Gospel, so if you got your uh, either your scripture journal or an entire copy of Mark will do today, but uh, or entire copy that I will do today, but we'll be primarily in uh, Mark's Gospel. Uh, Today's handout is at ourSundaySchool.com. It might help if I put the picture of myself up on the screen. Sorry about that, Uh, but uh, if you want to grab today's handout, you can do that at ourSundaySchool.com. And uh, we'll start this morning with our question that we ask each week. What is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark that we have studied so far? Now, we've studied a little over half of Mark's gospel at this point. So there is a tremendous amount of material to pull from to be answering this question. And uh, what I will tell you is um, uh, that it is... It is very consistent with the work and the person of the Holy Spirit to both have a general theme and to have individual uh, elements that either convict or encourage us uh, to engage with Scripture or God in very specific ways as a response to what God is doing in our lives. Uh, so i just take a second to uh, greet some folks this morning. So, uh, hey Jessica, thanks for getting room 206 up and going for us. Uh, so the Arnolds, hey Mom, good morning. Uh, Mitch Johnson, okay, we've got a checklist today. So Bible lesson, cup of hot tea, and warm blankie. Well, okay, Linus, I'm glad you're here with us today. <laughs> and Sherry is too, great. Well, it's it's kind of like he made the stars also. So Sherry, you're, you're a bit more important than that. So just to give you credit. Uh, howdy to Barry Cole. This is Nancy Miller. Good morning from uh, Oak Ridge, uh, the Landers, the McGarvey's. Uh, the Barbers, the Gregs. hello to my friends in North Carolina, and uh, fantastic, uh, Brittany and Bobby Miller, also in room 206, fantastic, good guy, good, I'm glad to have you guys with us this morning, so we're in Mark chapter 9, uh, and Mark chapter 9 is a it's, a, it's a lot of different things going on, it's kind of a long chapter, uh, but in specifically in today's text, uh, as we get ready to read all of Mark chapter 9, I want you to notice the transitions that take place between the different sections of Mark chapter 9. So before I read, I'll just kind of walk through. So we really finish up this, uh, this this section of Mark 8, where Jesus talks about his death and his resurrection. Then we move into the transfiguration. He heals a boy with an unclean spirit. He tells his, uh, about his death and resurrection again. He talks about... Uh, who is the greatest? Those that are not against us is for are for us, and then temptations to sin. And one of the things that I appreciate about uh, about the ESV's uh, headers over these sections is they're they're quite descriptive, but at the same time they almost completely ignore the disciples' role and how Jesus is working and responding to the questions and the concerns that the disciples have. And today we see the master teacher at work. Uh, And if you study teaching or study uh, pedagogical approaches to things, then this is a text today that is just brimming full with examples to follow uh, about uh, what Jesus does and how he does it. So uh, before we read uh, the text, I I do want to make sure that we, we understand that there's a question on your handout. Are there any literary or structural observations? And my comment this morning was Jesus answers an unasked question with another visual explanation? So, at the end of Mark chapter nine, in the section where uh, we're talking about the transfiguration, uh, the disciples are asking, "Why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come?" And then Jesus goes into um, Jesus goes into this uh, this explanation that the Son of Man is going to have to suffer. Right, And he's going to be uh, many things and treated with contempt. And uh, he talks about this rising from the dead. And then Jesus goes in and he gives them a visual of what happens with the boy with the unclean spirit. He then again goes back in verse 30 and talks about this foretelling his death and resurrection. And on the heels of him describing this again to them... What they are not asking him is, tell us more about this. They engage in a totally different conversation. So let's read all of Mark chapter 9, and we'll dig into uh, this text, starting in verse 33. Uh, Mark chapter 9. And he said to them, Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen, until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, Why are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And, the fa- and Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it is often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered a house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, for everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. So this morning we're going to look at this text, starting in verse 33. And again, I just want to draw attention before we jump in that he just finishes, Jesus just finishes talking to them about how the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and how he'll be killed, and when he's killed after three days, he will rise. They didn't understand this. They were afraid to ask him, and they came to Capernaum. Immediately after this text, Jesus finishes this additional visual about what is going on and how things actually function in the universe, and John changes the topic again. So we see that either the disciples have ADD, or they're just fundamentally not getting it. And I would argue that... Uh, perhaps there's a little of both, but certainly they are absolutely not getting it. Um, so as we walk into this uh, morning's text in verse 33, uh, let's take a look and see what the text says. So verse 33, and they came to Capernaum. So we are uh, still in um, we are still in uh, the northern part of Israel at this point. Um, we're in that red area at the top of the graphic that you see on the screen. Um, he's still in this Galilean region. Uh, we have not started the actual move to Jerusalem yet. Remember, we talked last week about how Jesus has, he has looked toward Jerusalem, but we have not started walking and making our way to Jerusalem yet. So he's still, this is still a tremendous amount of... Uh, it's stronger than foreshadowing. He's being very blunt here. Uh, but we haven't started the path of walking uh, to Jerusalem yet. So they came to Capernaum, uh, verse 33, and when he was in the house, he asked. And this word asked is the imperfect tense. And we know imperfect means this is something that occurs repeatedly. So he's repeatedly asking. He's repeatedly asking them, what were you discussing? And this word discussing is in the imperfect tense. So he's. Let, let me see if I can uh, phrase this uh, in a way that would be consistent with what the original text says here. So Jesus repeatedly asked them, what were you repeatedly discussing? So when your boss asked you over and over again what you were doing over and over again, it feels like you should give him an answer, Right? But look at the text. This this word for discussing, it shows up a couple of times early in Mark's gospel. In chapter 2, it's translated by the ESV as questioning. In chapters 8, 9, and 11, it's translated as discussing. So what were you discussing? What were you questioning on the way? Verse 34, but they kept silent, again, in the imperfect tense. So Jesus repeatedly asked them what they were repeatedly doing, and they repeatedly kept silent. They wouldn't answer him. Now, why do you not answer questions? Like, fundamentally, when somebody asks you a question, why do you not answer a question? Well, there's a couple of reasons, right? So, one, you you might not know, right? One, you you might know, and the answer might be embarrassing, either to yourself or to somebody around you. You're trying to protect somebody. I, I would argue they... Absolutely knew what they were discussing. They had just finished discussing it. This was not something that uh, that they didn't uh, they weren't aware of. And Jesus uses the imperfect tense to describe how they were discussing it. So they were repeatedly having this internal conversation amongst the disciples. It was so just so you could get the uh, the physical layout. It was very common for the rabbi to walk in front of the disciples. The disciples would follow the rabbi. So it would be very easy for the disciples to have some conversation out of earshot of the rabbi because they're back behind. Now, had Jesus been just another rabbi, that would have made all kinds of plausible sense. Jesus is not just another rabbi, right? He is the prophet, priest, and king. He's the Messiah. He is the chosen one of Israel. He is the one who comes to seek and to save the lost. He is the one who comes to call Israel to repentance. He is the one that the Old Testament points to that everyone has been waiting for. He is God. So he obviously knows what's going on behind him. This is not a surprise. This is is one more illustration of Jesus' awareness of all things that are going on around him. So they repeatedly uh, kept silent. For, this has become one of my favorite words in the New Testament, this gar, G-A-R. Uh, this is an idea of there is a reason, this is the explanation for what was just occurring. So uh, they kept silent because, or for, the, on the way, uh, they had argued with one another. Now this is a bit of a stronger word. This is a word that, um, uh, that is used many times in the gospel. In the gospel sorry in the book of Acts to describe what uh, Paul does as he engages with other people. He is, he's questioning, he's debating, he's arguing. So they kept silent because on the way they knew that they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And so let's just, let's just be really, really abundantly clear. In that group of people, who was the greatest? in that traveling group of people, who was the greatest. And if you are not shouting Jesus' name right now, you're missing the point. (laughs) Because they were missing the point that the Messiah himself was leading them. At best, at best, they would be arguing about who was second. And we find that actually later on they do that too, right? They kind of get to the realization that, oh, you know what, we're not first. Okay, well, maybe we can fight over who's second. <laughs> They're actually never more like the devil than when they do this. Because if you think back to what Satan wanted to be in, uh, in time past, it was, I will ascend, I will be like unto the Most High. I will be similar to God. The crazy thing is I don't think Satan ever actually says, I want to be greater than God. He, he couldn't envision anything greater than God. He just wanted to be equal. Right? You get this, this second-rate knockoff who's the imitator of all things good and screws it up in the process. And what are they doing? They're fumbling around here with the second-place trophy, not realizing there's not a second place. This is about who Jesus is. So he knows what they're doing. He knows that they're arguing. He knows that they're being quiet. He's, he's calling this to their attention by repeatedly asking this question. He is not making this easy for them. I don't know if you've ever had somebody that you work for or that you're around who was completely okay with uncomfortable silence. I've got a feeling Jesus was okay with uncomfortable silence because he wouldn't always answer every question that was asked. But he asked them over and over and over again, what were you arguing about? What were you arguing about? What were you discussing? What were you discussing? What were you arguing about? What were you discussing? And what is their answer? Look in the text. Look in verse 34, verse 35, verse 33, verse 36, 37, 38. What is their answer? I'll give you a minute. What is their answer? exactly. Well done. They didn't have an answer. They didn't say a word. They wouldn't speak because they knew what they were doing was wrong, right? They got it. They understood at least that much. So verse 35, so he sat down and called the 12. Now, why would he call the 12? Well, The text implies, because of what he's about to do next with taking this child and putting them in the midst, that there were others around them, that they weren't just traveling with Jesus and the Twelve. There were others that were following Jesus. There were others that were either here at Capernaum or those that had followed him. But it was largely, if you walk through the Gospels, significant amount of time where there's a crowd around them, where Jesus is talking and he's actually communicating to multiple audiences at once. So he sat down and he called the 12. So he's got the 12 around him. So this is his, his core group that he's focused on discipling. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, or the word is to choose or to prefer to be first, he must be, so this is a future indicative he must be last, uh, eschatos. This is where we get our English word eschatology, the study of the last things. And this is the <laughs> this is the first time last is used in Mark's gospel, and it's used more uh, later on, and it always just means the, the last of a list of things or the last thing that's going to be done. So if he wants to be first, he must be last of all, right, of the whole group, and not just last of all, but servant of all. And this is the diaconos. This is the word for where we get our English word deacon, which is really just a transliterated word. They took the, the Greek and they just converted each letter over into English. And yay, there you go. This is a new odd sounding word, right? Deacon. So he wants to be last of all and servant of all. Now, uh, diaconos only shows up one other time in Mark's gospel in uh, 1043. So it's not, a, it's not a huge focus of Jesus teaching ministry, uh, but it is a word that you should be aware of. So then in verse 36, this is kind of the, the justification, I would say, for there being this crowd around them. So he calls the 12 out, and then uh, and he took a child. Now, if there wasn't a crowd around him, then you've just got a kid wandering around by himself, which really makes no logical sense whatsoever, right? So it's just, just a little more uh, textual confirmation that there was a crowd around them. And he took a child, and I want you to look at this uh, this word for child for just a second. This is Paidon. Uh, this is a singular neuter accusative. Uh, the neuter means that we don't know the sex of this particular child. Um, it could have been a boy, it could have been a girl, not entirely sure. All of the words that describe this particular human being are neuter as you go through the entire uh, text. Now, it doesn't mean it's a neuter child. It means it's either a boy or a girl, but we just the text doesn't tell us which one. Uh, most English translations just default to him as a matter of default. And I would say, I don't know that that's entirely helpful, but it it would read really oddly. Uh, he took a child and put him or her in the, right? I mean, it's just kind of, you end up with this clunkiness that is certainly not present in the original. So this is what happens. So he took a child and put, uh, the word is actually to stood, to stand up. He stood up. Uh, this person in the midst of them. So the, the child, this word for Padon, it, it can be like anything from an infant to, I mean, it could be somebody up to uh, half grown, right? But it, this particular uh, child was old enough to stand on its own. So he, he stood him up uh, and then in the midst of them, and then taking him in his arms. So Jesus hugs or holds this particular child and, he does this again in chapter ten, verse sixteen. So this is a pattern that Mark shows us in his gospel of Jesus' activities with small children, that he would hold them and he would many times bless them. And what a what a, an amazing concept that would be, right? To have Jesus, the actual Messiah, bless and hold your child. I and mean, that's that's pretty cool stuff, right there. Right? That's a, that's a that's a neat story to be able to tell. A neat legacy to be able to pass down. So. He, took him in his arms and said to them, so not to the child, but to the 12 that are around him. And remember, he hasn't been asked a question by them yet. He knows what they were discussing. He knows how to respond. And in the mechanism that he chooses to respond to the disciples, to answer the question about what they're debating about, he takes the opportunity to love and care for someone who wasn't in the conversation. And this is one of the things that I love about Jesus. He was constantly looking for ways to love others, even while he is discipling his 12. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. It's it's incredibly complex, but it's it's an incredible approach that he takes here. So verse, 20, verse 37, this is what Jesus says to them. Whoever receives... Now, we're going to get just a little bit technical here for a minute. I mean, you're in our Sunday school, right? So we're going to talk about some technical things. So whoever receives... This is an heiress tense. heiress means this is a, a one-time occurrence. Uh, whoever receives... And this is also subjunctive. So this is something that's the, a possibility of occurring. So whoever receives this one-time possibility... This, occurred, this word occurs uh, in Mark six eleven and then Mark ten fifteen, but it occurs four times in this verse. It's very unusual for Mark's gospel to have a word show up that many times in a single verse. So this is the, um, somewhere Thesa right now is underlining receives in a really cool color and making some type of a squiggle over or under it. I, that's just happening right now. I love it. So whoever receives one such child, and as such is just kind of of this sort, So whoever receives somebody like this, and here's the kicker. This, I am convinced, is one of the things that we ignore very often when we look at passages like this. The next three words, in my name. This is not just whoever takes care of a small child. This is whoever takes care of a small child like this, somebody like this, in my name. Like There is a reason for it, And there's a framework around it that this activity is consistent with. See, in Jesus' name says that Jesus is my Lord, and I'm doing this because I live in this construct, I live in this framework that is consistent with caring for those that need help. That is consistent for caring for those that can be cared for. That is consistent with loving people while we disciple. So whoever receives one, so this is a one-time-only receives, such a child in my name receives, now he's, he's transitioning here because this word receives, the second receives, is a present tense. So this is a right now continuous. So if you receive a child or such as a child in Jesus' name, then you're right now continuously receiving, and this is an indicative, a statement of fact, me as Jesus. Well, that's pretty cool, right? So through acts of service and love and receiving for those that need to be served and loved and received, we are serving and loving and receiving Christ. That's pretty awesome. So I'm a mathematician, and one of the things that we do in math is we round numbers, right? We don't like to use decimals when we don't have to. We don't like to be too specific if we don't have to. Close enough is good enough. We want to be directionally correct. We want to be in the ballpark. That's fine. Sometimes we round up. Sometimes we round down. Depends on what the specific number is. I would argue this is a case of significantly rounding up. So I've done this, what seems to be a rather small action, and it's received, it's viewed by Jesus as receiving Jesus. That's amazing. This is fantastic. But he's not done, and whoever receives. Now he's switching again. So catch it. Whoever receives. So the first receive was a aorist subjunctive. This is a present subjunctive. Whoever right now continuously receives me, Jesus receives, present, right now, continuously, indicative, this is a statement of fact, not me, but him who sent me. You're like, well, wait. Who sent Jesus? Any good Sunday school lesson is going to have a component of Trinitarian theology, so here we go. Who sent Jesus was the Father. The Father sent Jesus. Jesus sent the Spirit. This is how... The Trinity functions, so Jesus says, "Whoever right now continuously receives me, receives not me, but Him who sent me." And this word for sent is uh, apostello. This is the. Uh, it's many times would be translated as apostle, uh, the person who was sent on behalf of another, uh, which I think is rather interesting way to describe the Father. As a very apostolic character who sends out, who is sent out. The Father isn't sent, but the Father sends out. So this is the sender of Jesus. So let's back up and put a wrapper around this. Okay, so we've got Jesus answering an unasked question, loving a small child in the process teaching the disciples about Trinitarian theology being very nuanced in the words that he's using about one-time action is indicative of repetitive receiving of Christ and repetitive receiving of Christ is indicative of repetitive receiving of the Father. So when you, when you get Jesus, you get the Father too. This is good. And we know, as New Testament believers, that when you get Jesus, when you repent of sin and place faith in Christ, that the Holy Spirit is indwelling inside a believer. So repentance and faith in Christ, you get Jesus, you get the Father, and you get the Spirit. You get the whole Trinity working together to love, to change, to draw, to call to engage with us in life in a way that we are supposed to live. We're supposed to be communing with God. That's what we are designed to do. Life apart from God is out of alignment with what the design is. And you end up with all sorts of issues when you're not in alignment. So, a couple application points. Oh, yes, Nick. Uh, Nick. Sorry, Mitch. Absolutely. Sherry said, in loving the child, he also loved the parents. Absolutely. What a beautiful picture, right? So, application point. So, what's the point? Um, These are not as tight. I've I've worked on these a lot this week, and I could not get these very succinct. So, if they feel a little longer than normal, they're just a little longer than normal. So, it is what it is. So, application number one. uh, Service demonstrates greatness and rank. So, service demonstrates greatness and rank. So, this idea of um, how we engage with others, what we are willing to do, what we are not willing to do, uh, is a a lens that we can see through that helps us to interpret what reality is relative to how great somebody is or what their rank is. So, what do we what do we do with that? Well, I would say follow Jesus' example, right, of receiving in service. Uh, Jesus if you just look through and walk through one of the gospels and watch how often Jesus does something not consistent with what he is expected to do that serves either a person or a group of people that he's around, it's a habit with him. It's absolutely a habit with him. So service demonstrates uh, greatness and rank. Uh, I would also say that application number two, service demonstrates family. Um, Service demonstrates family. It demonstrates what family you are a part of. We've seen many, many times at this point uh, through Mark's gospel how the demons have this desire to mar the image of God, have this desire to inflict pain and hurt and anguish and isolation, Um, how the demons are aware of who Jesus is, but don't worship Jesus for who Jesus is, right? There's a difference between knowledge and worship. Um, so this service demonstrates family, demonstrates what family you are a part of. So what do we do with that? Well, I would say repent and believe in the gospel. Like right now, continuously. It's not a, it's not an aorist thing. It's not a one-time only and I'm good and I've checked the box and I never have to do that again. The, the gospel is the sustaining work that enables us to have the power to go and do what we need to do. If, if the gospel was just a one-time checkbox, then we could live however we wanted the rest of our lives, and that would be indicative that we didn't actually repent and believe in the gospel. That would be indicative that we had a different father, that the devil was the father, and this is this is not good. Uh, so let's run our application and personalization through the text real quick. So if service demonstrates greatness and rank, uh, and service demonstrates family, who received the child? Who served the child? Who served the parents here? Jesus did. He's demonstrating his greatness and his rank and his family through his actions. Uh, If service demonstrates family, if we can see how we engage with others, shows that we are in fact receiving Christ and if we are believing Christ that this is something that we get the Father as well. Who is at one with the Father here? Well Jesus is at one with the Father. He says this a couple of times in the Gospels, right? And then so the, the big question is, who is the example that is fulfilling the truth that he is teaching and that's Jesus. Um, one of the one of the beautiful things about Jesus Christ is that we don't ever have, any instance where he, in his life, in his action, in his thought, in his belief, contradicts the truth that he is preaching. He is completely and totally consistent. And as a teacher, that is just a shockingly high bar, because you you will not have to go very far at all. There's two folks here on the couch that could explain to you that my life is not 100% consistent with the teachings of Scripture. I fail, I sin, I make mistakes. Uh, and then what do we do? We repent and we believe in the gospel. We turn back to uh, what is true over and over and over again. You're not going to find a teacher on earth alive right now that is 100% consistent. But boy, do we have that example in Jesus. And I am grateful that we do. I'm grateful that we do. So a couple of things before we uh, dismiss this morning. Um Just as we move into our uh, prayer time, please take a moment and uh, write in the comments any prayer requests that you might have, any questions that you have about any of the lessons. Also, feel free to just jot those down in the comments. I'd love to engage with you on that. Uh, Just lean in, engage, and pray for somebody who is not physically with you. Um, If you want to find somebody who's not physically with you, just look in the comments and you can see a whole host of folks that are uh, engaging with us online. I'd love for you to pray for each other as we can minister to each other, as we can receive and love each other through this. And then uh, either go to a Steward campus, Facebook page, YouTube, or website uh, to engage with our worship service today. would love to have you uh, continue this time of study. You know, study should lead to a right view of God and his actions and how we engage with that. And that is almost always just going to result in worship. And that is what we get to go do uh, next. So I'm excited about that. Hope you are as well. I appreciate you being with us this morning. And uh, Lord willing, we'll be back next week. Uh, And we will start in uh, 938. Uh, If you've got your printed off handout, you'll know that the last page of today's lesson is page 300 of our handout which is just kind of crazy. So your homework there is to pray, hear, think, talk, share, and invite. So please be faithful in doing that. And Lord willing, I'll see you next week. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at com.